Yeah, I was, um, I was late because um, we're like down by the river, proper flooded. Like um, if you've got any waders or a boat that you can lend us, that'd be great. Uh, but like, yeah, like it's quite, it's quite exciting down in Purley at the moment. Um, and, um, but walking in late into the worship and into the sense of the presence of God and into just walking in at the back and seeing people just like beginning of the year, everyone's here, we're all into Jesus. You just think, oh man, this is my family, really glad to be here. And um, uh, if you've recently started uh, coming to this church or if you've been around for a while, uh, one of the things that you'll notice is that we, we talk a lot about uh, the, the presence of God and experiencing the presence of God and entering his presence and longing for his presence among us. And, um, uh, it, it, you know, it, people articulate that in different ways. Some people, they'll just say, oh, I like coming to this church because of the vibe or because of there's a feeling or when we sing, I, I, I feel something um, or when I'm together with people, there's a, there's a sense of spirituality or encounter or engagement or something like that. And um, we wanted to take some time at the beginning of this year, really, to talk a little bit about what we mean by the presence of God. When we, when we talk about being a charismatic church, when we talk about caring about whether God is present or not. You know, we, we could do meetings and run great stuff, but if there wasn't the presence of God, it would be different. And... Um, and the way we wanted to do that was really talk about it uh, kind of as, as the story through the Bible, just really briefly over the next few weeks, in terms of how we got here, how we got to have this privilege as God's sons and daughters to know his presence. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to start today in, in how we lost the presence of God uh, in Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, that's what we're going to do today. And then in the Old Testament, you have these moments, these little hints, don't you, of the promise of the presence of God. You've got the, the tabernacle, the tent, where it's like God lives in a tent, but not outside. And how does that work? You know? And then you've got the temple in Jerusalem, and it's like if you want to meet God, you've got to go there. Why is that? But then you've got when our Lord Jesus comes and is born and lives among people, we say the presence of God is fully there in this person, in this baby. We don't need a tent anymore. We don't need a temple anymore because we've got Jesus now. He is the presence of God to us. And then after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he says, don't worry, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending my Holy Spirit. And the Spirit comes and brings the presence of God to us, and now we know the presence of God as his people, right? So that's the story, and then at the end of all things, we will be together with him forever in his presence, and there will be healing, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes, and there will be this, this sense of homecoming and arrival. So that, that story, that's the story of the Bible, but it's our story, and we wanted to spend a few weeks just looking at that, because rather than just going... You know, God is present everywhere. He is omnipresent. But we talk about this sense of sometimes 
God being experientially present and, and tangibly present and present in a way that, that touches us and changes us. And so we wanted to kind of go, how did we get here and, and, and what is that about? Is that okay? So that's what we're going to do the next few weeks. And we're starting today in, in the, the sad bit of the story, the, the Genesis chapter 3, presence lost. And what we lost when we ate the fruit, uh, which is why I'm still telling my children never eat fruit. Um, because the Bible doesn't tell you which kind of fruit it was, so they're all dangerous, so just don't eat any of them. And, um, and so we're going to take up the story from the second that they ate the fruit, and everything changed. And so we're, we're going to read a few verses now, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, well, the woman that you gave to me, it's not just, oh, it's the woman's fault. It's your, God, it's your fault. You gave her to me, right? The woman that you gave to me. Uh, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you've done? And the woman said, It wasn't me, it was the serpent who deceived me, and I ate. They're playing blame volleyball. Yeah, like, No, it wasn't me, it was you. No, it was. doesn't matter who it was. The point is, they've lost the presence of God. And then the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children your desire should be contrary to your husband he will rule over you and to Adam he said because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree which I commanded you you should not eat of it cursed is the ground because of you and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life so this word pain or um, suffering hardship happens three times it's a new word in their vocabulary it didn't exist in their language before Suddenly, there's this word pain. And thorns and thistles, it will bring forth for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them 
And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to God, the way to the tree of life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is so ancient and so powerful, and we sit under its story and under its authority today, and we see ourselves in the story. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to understand what you want to say to us today. I pray, Holy Spirit, uh, that you deliver us from the tyranny of familiarity and that you put into our minds and hearts the very things that you wish us to understand and to hear. We pray, O oh God, that your presence, which is resting on us today, by your Holy Spirit, would continue to rest on us. Lord, let your presence come. Lord, we don't want to talk about your presence without knowing it deep inside us. So come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to see uh, five things uh, in this story. There's obviously loads, and people have preached about these things for thousands of years. Uh, but we're going to do five things today that we lost um, when we lost Eden. Five things about the presence of God that we lost. And obviously, we're here as Christians, and we know the end of the story. We know that all five of these things get restored to us in our Lord Jesus. Um, and so we're, we're reflecting with sadness on the things that we lost, but also with hope and joy in the fact that we know the end of the story, right? And we know that uh, Jesus restores these things to us. But this story, it's our story. It's our origin story. We need to know who we are and where we came from. Um, just turn to the person next to you and go, who are you and where did you come from? <laughs> okay. So the first thing is this. Uh, when we lost the presence of God in the garden, we, we lost a sense of being seen and known and loved. And we went to a sense of being ashamed. So we, we lost a sense of being seen and known and loved. And we went to a sense of being ashamed. Um, in the presence in the garden, Adam and Eve were, were fully seen and fully known. We read in verse 7... After they eat the fruit, both, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Then they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence among the trees. So Adam and Eve were in Eden. They were naked, but they were completely unashamed. 
They, they, they were seen by God. They saw each other. And there was no sense of shame or embarrassment about it at all. There was no Instagram to compare. You know, Adam wasn't going, yeah, Eve, you're all right, but look at her, right? There was no magazines telling them what beauty was supposed to be like. Uh, there was nobody to compare with because it was only them. And they knew the presence and the love of God speaking to them, you're my children, I love you, I made you, I created you. There was no other narrative. Can you imagine that? The only narrative was the love of God, the full acceptance of God. There's no other voices. There's no disappointment. There's no, the word shame, whatever language they spoke, the word shame didn't exist in that language. Um, there were no mirrors. There were no cosmetics. There were no brands. Uh, it was a great freedom to be seen and to be known and to be loved and to be secure in that. And um, in a sense, that's why all of us have that longing to be seen, noticed, loved, accepted for who we are. It's because it was in us from Eden. That was a thing that is in us. Our Father made us, shaped us, loves us. And if there weren't any other voices and any other inputs and any other narratives, that would be what we would hear from him all the time. I love you. I'm delighted in you. Well done. All the time. That would be the voice. And, um, but the first thing they do when they eat the apple or the whatever it was, kiwi, um, the first thing they do is they cover themselves up. They get fig leaves, which are big leaves. Um, you know, Adam was probably thinking, man, I need a big leaf to cover me up, you know. They get fig leaves, but then they, they sewed them and they made garments. And so this is the first human creative endeavor, sewing. And yet it's done in order to cover up. So the first human creative work that happens, you know, that suddenly Adam and Eve are tailors and they're making clothes. Um, and it's the mother of all human endeavor to conceal oneself and to hide. Nothing changed in Adam and Eve's bodies, but something changed in their thoughts about themselves and about how God might see them. And um, the question we always have to ask, because ever since then, humans have been covering ourselves up. Um, the question we have to ask is, what, what is your fig leaf? What, what do you hide behind so that other people can't really see you? And as many people as there are in the world, there's that many different kinds of fig leaves. But this was intentional. They, they, they sewed it. They craft, they, we craft things 
around our lives to protect people seeing our vulnerabilities and to, to, to stop people seeing who we really are. We project all kinds of stuff, don't we? Maybe it's literally for you, fashion or makeup. Um, for me, sometimes it can be humor. You know, if a conversation gets too serious, I'm just going to tell a dad joke and deflect. I just, that's how I, that's how I cover up, right? Or for me, sometimes it's cleverness, like I'm just going to say something really clever, and then you'll just think about the clever thing I said, and you won't see my nakedness. But it can be so many things, and I wonder what it is for you, and I wonder this year at the beginning of 2024, what if you made one of your New Year's resolutions to be to show yourself to people more? Not to everybody, not all the time, but to people that you trust, to people in your world. What if you said, actually, I'm going to... It's not I'm going to be more vulnerable, because you are vulnerable, <laughs> but you're going to show them your weaknesses. You're going to ask for help more. You're going to pick up the phone more and go, I'm having a bad day. Like, what if you made it your New Year's resolution just to step out from behind your fig leaf occasionally? Uh, but also, not only did they have the fig leaves, also here they hid themselves from the presence. So in the evening, in the cool of the day, God would come and uh, walk in the garden with them. And they'd know his presence. And, um, but this evening... When God comes to walk in the garden, they hide themselves from him. The game of hide-and-seek had never been invented until now. And God's like, where are you? And um, there, there's, there's fear. There's hiding. And I'd suggest that ever since then, people have been hiding from the presence of God. Ever since then, we hide from not just from each other, but we hide from God. We don't want him to really see what we're really like. But then you've got this beautiful thing, haven't you? Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and Eve garments of skins, and he clothed them. So uh, maybe God looked at the garments that they'd made out of fig leaves and went, they're not very good. <laughs> Let me make you some better ones. Um, but it's garments of animal skins. And so some would suggest that here you have the first sacrifice, the first animal sacrifice where God takes some skins from some animals and covers them. And um, this word covering in, in your Hebrew Bible is the word for atonement. So the word to cover is kippur. And that's the word. So the, the Day of Atonement is what? Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Covering. And so this is the first sacrifice and atonement. This is the first covering that is offered for people by God. And so this obviously points prophetically, doesn't it, for us to the solution in Jesus Christ, who will die naked in order that we naked ones might be clothed, who will offer himself as a covering for us, who will offer his righteousness 
as a covering for us by the sacrifice of himself so that we don't need fig leaves anymore. We don't need to hide anymore because Jesus has offered himself as a covering for us. And he's our hiding place. We hide in him, not from him. Amen? So that's the first one. Number two, uh, in terms of things that we lost when we lost the presence of God, is uh, we lost a, a, a blessing, a way of living that was blessed. And we moved from that to curse. And here a curse enters the world because of our sin. And so his presence, Eden, it was a place of blessing. Um, it was a place of blessing that got lost, that got spoiled. So verse 17, to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, so because of sin there's a consequence, cursed is the ground because of you, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so, what was the blessing that was in the garden? Well, one of the things was it was just a really cool place to live. Um, you know, Eden, mean, the word Eden means delight. So they lived in a place that was called delight, which is pretty, I mean, you know, I live in Pearly-on-Thames, pretty cool, but to live in a place called delight, Right? And, um, but they had a higher purpose. They had a, a reason. God had given them a, 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 a responsibility and a, and a purpose to live for. Not just subsistence, not just how do you feed yourself. It was more than that. There was a sense of calling and dignity. And like, I'm living for something more than this. And um, they, they'd had provision. You may eat of any tree. And they, got, they had provision. Uh, they had the voice of God, which after they lose the God and becomes increasingly rare, it's hard to hear the voice of God. Didn't used to be. And um, uh, what is the curse that enters the world at this point? Well, you get this word, pain or sorrow, uh, which comes in here. And uh, here we have, in pain you will... Eat from the ground all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. So you've got, in Genesis 1, you've got the ground brings forth food. And now with the same phrase in Genesis 3, you've got the ground brings forth thorns and thistles. I don't know if you've ever tried to eat thorns and thistles, but not so tasty. Uh, was it E or the donkey? He eats them, doesn't he? And um, Winnie the Pooh. But, um, and it says it's going to be by the sweat of your brow. And so basically he's saying it's going to be hard now. It's going to be hard to provide for your family. Work is going to be hard. It's going to be tiring. It's going to, anyone, anyone experience that? <laughs> you know, it, it, and also there's, where there used to be harmony, there's going to be disequilibrium. Cursed is the ground because of you. So the, the ground, the Hebrew word, right, a little bit of Hebrew, it's the beginning of the year, why not, right? Um, the word for ground or soil is Adama. And so this guy, 
that's taken from the ground is called Adam because he's from the, he's from the ground. So he's, he's got a connection to the ground and he's got the same name. It's like if we called him Dusty or Earthy or Mr. Soil, right? That's, 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 that's the idea. And so there's a connection, there's a, there's a harmony, there's an equilibrium between humans and their environment. And what's happened in the curse is that that equilibrium has broken. And now instead of us and our natural environment being in sync, actually we're in conflict. And we cause problems for our natural environment now, don't we? Uh, And the environment causes problems for us now, doesn't it? And so where we were supposed to be in equilibrium, now there's this, this disconnect that's happened between us and our world. And, um, and, and, and so what we see here is this, the thorns and thistles are like the indirect consequences of sin. It's all the, all the pointy, pokey, nasty stuff that happens in the world, all the thorns and thistles that poke you and get in your way and get, like those are the things in life that hurt sickness and disease and mess and pain and, and inequality and injustice, all this stuff, all the thorns and thistles in our world, it all comes out of this moment. And this, of course, it all points, doesn't it, to our Lord Jesus. I'm, we're doing sad beginning, but we're also doing happy ending. Uh, but Jesus, so it says here, by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread. Jesus, when he feeds the 5,000, he gives bread to people miraculously without any sweat from their brows. Because he's come to reverse the curse. Jesus sweats in the garden of Gethsemane. He's taking our curse. He's sweating, which was the curse. Jesus is crowned with what? The crown of thorns. So he takes the curse, the thorns and thistles, and he's crowned with it. He's absorbing it. He takes it on himself. And here it says, you will return to dust. You'll be returned to the ground. That's what happens to Jesus. He's he's buried. He's returned to the dust. And so everything in the curse is absorbed in the person of Jesus Christ. He swallows our curse. He, He drinks it all down. He's clothed with it. He's crowned with it. So that it can be buried in the tomb. And when he rises again, it's gone forever. And so Jesus takes the curse and brings us blessing. Amen? Number three, they go from, from belonging, from being at home, to a sense of dislocation, to kind of lostness and pointlessness. I was once, um, don't ask why, we were on honeymoon in Pakistan and Afghanistan. That's our kind of fun. And um, uh, when we were in this village in the mountains in Pakistan, uh, these Australian backpackers kind of rocked up in our village. We were like, no, no, this is our, this is our village. Go away. <laughs> um, and we said, where are you coming from? And they're like, we don't know. Uh, and we were like, well, where are you going to? And they were like, we don't really know. <laughs> yeah, we're like, do you know where you are now? No, where are we? And they're just kind of floating. Like, it's like hippie throwback 
just sort of floating around, didn't know where they were coming from, where they were going. But to be honest, a lot of people in our world are like that. If you ask them, you know, where are you coming from? Where are you going in your life? Just kind of, I'm just kind of floating, drifting. Or, and that's what happens to us when we lose the garden. And so, verse 24, he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to God, the way to the tree of life. So, Eden was our home. It was where we belonged. And when we lost Eden, when we were driven out, driven out, it's quite a forceful thing. And then he puts cherubim there. I don't think that's like your chubby little baby cherubs that you get on Valentine's Day cards. These are big, bad cherubim, right, with a flaming sword to guard the way back in. So they can't come back in to where the tree of life is. And um, so exile is losing your home. It's becoming a, a refugee. Did, did you know we're all refugees since Eden? We lost our home. When I see pictures of people on those little boats trying to get across the Mediterranean, I think that's, my, that's me. We lost our home. That's why a lot of the time... We don't really feel like we belong. We don't really feel like we fit in. Because we don't. Because we lost our home. And um, the next generation went even further east. So then Cain, Adam and Eve's son Cain, it says, he went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, I don't think the land of Nod is like a place where people fall asleep. Um, nod means wandering or vagrancy or tramping. And so, again, it's a land of just wandering around and being lost. You can just imagine Cain just wandering. I'm in the land of Nod. I can't settle. I'm, like, restless. I'm wandering around. And so we're all, in that sense, dislocated. And that is why, again coming into the presence of God. Like I did this morning, I came in late. You guys were worshipping. I walked in at the back and I was just like, oh, I'm home. Right? Coming into the presence of God is like coming home, coming to Jesus. You hear people say, you know, when I came to Jesus, it felt like I was coming home. That's because everything we lost in a place, we recover in a person. And his name is Jesus. And he is the presence of God to us. He is our home. And, and we want church to be that for people. We want, we want you to come into, not just a Sunday, but into our family, into our community. And go, I feel at home here. You know, he places the lonely in families. And so we see here that uh, we lost this sense of home when we lost the presence of God. But in Jesus, we come home. Amen? We've done three. We've got two more. And then we're going to have communion. We're going to break bread together. Uh, number four, there's a sense of going from safety to violence. 
Okay, Eden was a place of safety. Again, I don't know what language they spoke there, but there wouldn't have been any word for danger. There wouldn't have been any word for, ah! Um, because it wouldn't have ever happened to you there. Um, but then verse 16 He says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you will bring forth children, and your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And then in in chapter 4 and verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. And so the presence was safe. The presence of God is the original safe space where people could literally go, I feel, I'm not worried, I'm not afraid. There's no anxiety, there's no concern, I'm safe here. But as soon as we lost that, all kinds of violence entered the world. And, and one of the kinds of violence that is talked about here is gender-based violence. So what, whatever verse 16 means, and it's a complicated verse, we see this, it's a curse, it's not good. It's got violence in it, and it's gender-based. And men went from using their strength to protect women or provide for women to using their strength to hurt women. And this isn't peripheral to the story. This is a constant in any culture in the world, in any time in history, wherever you look, wherever you turn, men have hurt women. It's a universal, immovable fact of the human condition that our strength has been used to hurt our sisters. And um, the Bible is full of stories of violence against women. And today in the UK, I'm sure, you know, my sisters will know this, my brothers may or may not, one in four women in the UK have been sexually abused or raped as an adult. One in four. Okay, one in four women have suffered domestic abuse. So that means it's in our town, it means it's in your street, it means it's probably in our church family. And um, I can't imagine what that's like, but I have a daughter and I have a wife, and um, if our daughters feel afraid to walk home on their own, that's part of this loss of the presence of God. And in the Cain and Abel story, you've got the first murder. You've got a brother killing a brother. And so when we lost the presence, we lost safety, and we came into a world that has violence in it and pain and fear and uncertainty and not knowing what's going to happen. And again, Jesus' story, and we, we can't miss this, but Jesus' story is a violent story. He's violently attacked. He's violently, he, he, he comes as a victim of violence. He's stripped naked. He's beaten. He's punched. He's kicked. He's nailed. And his victimal blood, we're told, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Amen? 
And then the final one here, number five, is when we lost the presence, we went from life to death. Eden was a place of life. Uh, there was the tree of life there. Whatever that was, whatever it means, we lost it. And um, we're told, now you're going to return to the ground because you're dust and to dust you will return. And so this whole thing of death and mortality and that's when we started to die. And um, there was, it wasn't just that there was eternal life, but there was a quality of life. There was a sweetness of life. There was a life in the presence of God. There's little moments that we have in the presence of God, right? Imagine living in that all the time. And we lost it, and we started to die. And we started to bury people and have funerals. And the tree of life is now guarded by these cherubim, and we can't go back there. And um, all the way through the story of the presence of God, we're going to see these cherubim, right? So when they have the tabernacle, they have the Ark of the Covenant. It's got statues of cherubim on it. Why? To remind us, you can't actually get to life. And when they've got the temple, they've got big curtains in the temple with big pictures of cherubim woven into them to remind us you can't actually get in to life. And when Jesus dies, what happens? The temple curtain is torn from top to bottom and the cherubim are moved out of the way so that now there is access to life. And I don't think it's so we can come in I think it's so that life can break out into the world. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10, almost everybody's favorite verse. We've got a hand up here. Amen, right? People love that verse. But then Jesus, he dies, he rises again. He comes to bring life. And those that know him will find life in him. And so... We're going to come now to communion. We're going to break bread together and remember what Jesus has achieved for us. But just, we've looked at five things today, okay? It's the, it's the beginning of this story about the presence of God. And it's going to get better, right, over the next few weeks. But just to remind us, when we lost the presence, we went from being seen to being ashamed and we started to make fig leaves and to cover ourselves up and to hide. We went from blessing to curse and we get all the, the pointy stuff and the sharp stuff and the messy stuff that breaks into our world. We went from belonging and a sense of home and this is where I am and this is my family to dislocation and being strangers and aliens in the world. We went from a place of safety into a world that's got violence in it. And we went from a place of life into a space that's full of death. And death, which has these perfect statistics, 100% of people die. And yet, with all of these things, friends, what we find in Jesus Christ 
is a solution to all of them. Jesus, he's extraordinary. He's come to fulfill all of these things. He's come to take away the curse. He's come to heal pain. He's come to redeem violence. He's come to restore us to home. He's come to build a family that is flooded with his presence, where everything that was sad and broken gets restored and made well. Amen? And so, to the Lord's Supper.